first you have to find nothing. Wait, we've been well, doing yeah. it well, no, for the no, past five minutes. Is. No, nothing is in middle schools. It's what they learn in middle school. Yeah. Because you ask every, them what they learned. We, we have five children that went through middle school and all five of them, when they come home from middle school, you say, I would ask them, what did you do today? And they would say nothing. So nothing is being created in the middle schools. Yes. Across right. the country. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach, where we will say such exciting things as GDP payrolls and medium weekly wage, and things to that effect. Just as exciting as that. If that stimulates your brain, you are listening to the correct place. If it causes your insomnia to disappear, you are also listening to the correct place. I have heard, just as a side note, a large number of people that wish and listen to our podcasts to go to sleep. So we may want to put an extra disclosure about operating heavy vehicles while listening to to these two bald bald guys. I would venture to say that everyone who listens to our podcast at some point goes to sleep. I would hope so. I would hope so. Unless it's the last thing that they do mm. ever. I mean, at some point during the day, they will go to sleep. Yes. Uh, well, I what I'm talking about, though, is people specifically listening to us to go to sleep. Mm. That they, that they uh, enjoy our conversation, but that sometimes when they are just relaxing, they turn on our podcast just so that they can go to sleep. That makes sense. So if we're fulfilling a need of yours, whether that is education or insomnia release, no, this has not been FDA approved for the treatment of any health, anything. We should do a double blind, because it would fit us very nicely, um, survey, experiment to determine whether people have less insomnia if they're listening to us or more. I think that the survey may also fight insomnia. Mm, could be. We go out and do a survey and ask them to fill out 120 questions about whether or not they sleep. No. Well, no. Just ask them. Just, Just say, do you listen uh, to our podcast? And it's a yes or no. Uh, two, do you have insomnia? Yes or no. And if they say no, then we know we've cured a lot of them. Right. Yeah. Well, we compare that with the general population to determine how many people in the general population have insomnia. This is absolutely the way you should do large number studies. I, I, I mean, every academic researcher will say, oh, yeah, that's fine. That, that'll pass peer review. We could, we could compare listening to nothing to listening to us and see if it puts people to sleep. Well, first, you have to find nothing. Wait, we've been well, doing yeah. it well, no, for the no, past five minutes. Is. No, nothing is in middle schools. It's what they learn in middle school, yeah. Because you ask every, them what they learned. We have five children that went through middle school, and all five of them, when they come home from middle school, you say, I would ask them, What did you do today? And they would say, Nothing. So nothing is being created in the middle schools. Yes. Across right. the country. So we can A compare what isn't learned at middle school against our voices recorded for yes, sleep, there it goes. sleep right. treatments. Right. Yes. Right. All right. <clears throat> no. So. Let's talk about some economic news. What do you think? That's probably why people are listening. Hopefully. Okay. Or it could be that we put them all to sleep already. So 
Go well, ahead. there were several items of economic news that were significant. One was widely expected, except apparently by the people who trade on Wall Street in the markets, and that is that the Federal Reserve did not change short-term interest rates. Uh, they left them uh, planned for a range of 5.5, 5 5.25% to 5.5%. And uh, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve Board said uh, the same thing they have been saying for at least six months, probably more like nine months at this point, um, higher, longer than you expect. Interest rates and, and the speeches before the blackout period, before the meeting, consistently conveyed a message that the issue at this point is not whether we're going to raise rates or not. It's we're going to keep rates higher for a long time because the economy, very frankly, the economy is doing just about what the Fed wants it to do right now short term. The inflation rate is somewhere between 1.2 and 2.4%. They're shooting for two. So that's bracketing it very nicely, depending on which measure you use and which month you look at. Uh, not the annual inflation rate, which is between 3.4 and 3.7 from looking back 12 months. But what is it running month to month right now? Now, there's no guarantee it'll keep on doing that, but it's doing just about what they want. And, and Jake mentioned earlier, I don't know if he mentioned it on the air before the show, um, the unemployment rate rose to 3.9. Well, the Fed's target is 4%. Yeah, I said that before before the program started. So, yeah. So, 3.9% unemployment, because it rose a little bit. And then, uh, once he got done and talking and everything, and then almost like the, a couple of days later, here comes the Bureau of Labor Statistics, one of our favorite organizations of the government, um, and where, where they're truly bureaucrats in the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And they came out with uh, their first estimate for the for the recent quarter and they the third quarter, and they said that, uh, well, I'm sorry, for the month, last month, right. for October, 150,000 new employees, 150 net. In other words, if you think all the layoffs and quits and you compare that with all the hires, they came in with their first estimate. And they have three estimates they're going to make. And they said 150,000. Well, that is almost precisely the number for a stable, enduring, sustainable economy. Now, it may have been influenced by the fact that General Motors workers are on strike. I don't know. We'll have to see how that well, works out. Well, yeah, it did. It actually, actually the, it was Stellantis, Ford, and General Motors. That strike had an impact on... Right. Um, it was it noted in the report itself saying that that had a significant impact on the on those numbers. Well, it, it, it probably had some impact, but the point is, if you were to look for the perfect economy from the Federal Reserve's point of view, it'd be four percent unemployment, one hundred fifty thousand new jobs a month, and inflation running along between one point two and two point four. And folks, we got it. We are in the uh, Goldilocks zone now. How whether we'll stay there is the big question. And we, but this is the interesting point: we are in the Goldilocks zone, following the highest, fastest raise in interest rates in terms of where it started and where it, in, in percentages that we've had since we've been keeping records on this. And the economy is running very smoothly after getting hit with the equivalent of a sledgehammer in interest rates. And so they're going to leave the sledgehammer in place for a while. Yeah, and, and I want to just mix the metaphors, analogies a little bit more because you know what happened to Goldilocks, right? It's, she was sleeping she, in a bed when the bears came home. Right. So if we're in the but Goldilocks she, zone, it's because we're in a nice bed and we ate the right temperature of porridge and we sat in the right chair. But then, so I'm just saying that when people say Goldilocks zone, I'm not sure that they're really. Well, it's just thinking. right. 
It's just right. Yeah. And this one's just, just right. right is always followed by something other than just right. So yeah, the bears could come home at any time when you yeah. least expect them. But there, we, we have not seen any evidence of bears prowling in the area recently. Um, so this is about as good as it gets. And then came the whammy. Mm-hmm. Same Bureau of Labor Statistics are one of our favorite organizations. They are self-proclaimed During bureaucrats. the third quarter, productivity in the United States grew at an annualized rate of 4.7%. That is huge. That means that the the average or median... Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, they lowered the new jobs numbers over the previous two months by 100,000. So that made the Fed happy too. Uh, and so... What we have is really fascinating, and we've talked about and written about for months now that what we see going on beneath the surface is a lot of durable goods purchases for manufacturing. We've seen a lot of construction for manufacturing and, and, and uh, well, not necessarily manufacturing. We're seeing durable goods orders by businesses, which means businesses are, have a high level of business investment that's going on, and which is a, big, which is a very significant thing in the economy. And we see buildings being built for business. We see uh, business owners buying stuff that's going to last a long time. This is what precedes, this is the kind of activity you see coming out of a major recession. When, they, when the business owners are optimistic about what's going to happen down the road and they are closer to it than anybody else, and they start making long-term investments. And we're seeing that bear fruit now because the employees, now this is mainly on the service side, but employees are dramatically becoming more productive. And I think a piece of that is AI. A piece of that is better equipment. A piece of that is better layouts in buildings. But these are very, very, very positive long-term issues that are going on. It's capital investment for the purpose of raising productivity. And it's been going on for about a year now. And we would expect to see the fruit about now. And sure enough, the fruit has uh, appeared. It's just astonishingly good news. Um, the then, then came out a mixed story that tells you a lot about the economy and I'm rambling on here, but I'm going to get this stuff out. Um, the Institute for supply management came out with their purchasing managers index. Now purchasing managers index is they survey a bunch of people who buy stuff. That's a technical term that economists use, um, for businesses because, and that indicates whether the businesses think they will have more demand for processed stuff, be it food or equipment or whatever in the future than they're having in the present. Well, the Purchasers Managers Index for Services came out at 51.8, which is just about perfect. Again, it's pretty much what the Fed is looking for. And when you consider that about 78% of our economy is composed of services, and it's growing, it's still expanding, it's, we're not going the other way. Now, on the backside of that, the manufacturing sector, that index was at 46.7, which means it's contracting. Now, it's better than it was, but it's still contracting. But this is the interesting thing. They also asked the purchasing managers their opinion about what's going on. And the purchasing managers on the manufacturing side say the reason there's no layoffs is because the bosses think there's going to be a resurgence in purchasing goods manufactured in the United States within the next year. And they don't want to lay people off because if they laid people off, they'd have to train people and that's more expensive. So this is just in incredibly good news. Um, it, we're rocking and rolling along uh, superbly in the United States economy. Um, we are in, and, and we've said this before, we are in the, the condition of the economy 
is a lot more like what we would expect coming out of a major recession than it is about to go into a major recession. And I'm going to add to that with some other things. We've saw this productivity spike. Well, what is that from? New software, new hardware. We've got new robotics and new equipment. Manufacturing is coming online. We're beginning to see uh, a little bit of that of that money that's going into manufacturing in the United States since the pandemic really starting to bear fruit. So those those productivity numbers are part of that. We're using more robots. We're bring we're onshoring jobs that we offshored and replacing the offshore jobs with robots. Um, so that's fantastic. But it's not the end of the innovation. And I could spend a long time going back and forth on this, but I'm going to touch on a couple of really, really hot issues that are not being covered well right now. Um, There is a, well, there are 43 companies currently, private companies working on fusion power right now. 43 well-funded companies. There are six major countries working on it. Um, The world's largest operating nuclear fusion reactor just happened in Japan, Um, and they they named it very trippingly off the tongue. It is called the JT-60SA, and when it turns on, it creates plasma, and during the time that it's on, it's creating more energy than it's using to create the plasma. So it's recreating the sun, basically, only under controlled circumstances. Uh, and that's happened across the board at, at quite a number of institutions at this point. We have had working fusion. We've just had trouble sustaining it. Well, over at uh, Sandia National Labs um, uh, Laboratories in the United States, they created a, uh, the Sandia Z machine, which is a pulse energy fusion reactor that they got to sustain energy. Now, it's not extremely efficient, but it's about as efficient as nuclear, which is pretty good when when you consider that. So the cost for it is still higher than it will be later. But now there's a company that is beginning the mass production of small fusion power plants. Functional prototypes already exist. What does that mean? It means that this is something that's been promised since my childhood. Hey, we're going to have fusion power. We can do this. And they keep saying next year, next year, next year for 40 plus years. Well, it's here. It's not in its most efficient form, but now it's about to start hitting the market, which means that people are going to see it as an alternative for other things that they're doing. That's one area. That is a renewable energy. It's going to come with its own drawbacks of We're not really sure what all those drawbacks are yet, but it's not a panacea. You have to provide the energy to get it started, which means you have to start it with some other energy than fusion. Uh, That's an interesting concept. Uh, That, As far as technology goes, when I look over on the battery end of things, we talked about this a bit last week, that Toyota is introducing a solid-state battery for its vehicles next year with an expected range over 900 miles on one charge. That's phenomenal. What does that have to do with why we think the economy is going better? It isn't to say we don't like the equipment that we already have, but when we get better equipment, equipment that allows more things to be accomplished at a more efficient rate, that's what builds productivity. And long-term, if you have a commercial 
vehicle and you're driving it and you have to stop every 300 miles or so and fill up on gas, or you can drive 900 miles and park it back in in the motor pool and plug it in, how much efficiency is that? How much cost did you save? Those We're beginning to see that. It isn't based on some kind of bad technology and good technology. This is always the case. This is there. I mean, we ha- most of our tall tales that we tell uh, to our children are based on some new technology coming along and being fought off by the greatest of the hand tool users, whether that's Paul Bunyan or John Henry. You can go to almost any country and hear those stories about the people that did it so well, they did it better than a machine. But you can't do it consistently better for, for, than a machine for a long period of time. And now we're having those same kind of conversations about the old machine did it better uh, in specific instances than the new machine. People talked about this when the steam engine was being replaced by the diesel engines on the railroad. And there were all these people saying, this is a horrible thing. The steam engine's going away. We love the steam engine. People are saying the same thing about internal combustion today. And I don't mean the ones that are saying, I don't want to go to electric because the it won't get me where I need to go. That's just logic. That's good. You, if you, if electric cars aren't going to work for you because you're taking a thousand mile trip, they don't work for you. And eventually, if they go 900 plus miles on a charge, that's how far you probably want to drive in a day anyway. And that's not the end. It's the people that drive their pickup trucks that they burn diesel in because they like the smoke and they park in front of the electric charging stations. These are the people that are making the legend of John Henry again. This is that argument. And people people in the new technology side look at this and say, they're just horrible people for doing that. But the people driving the pickup truck that's blocking the electric is thinking the same thing about the new technology people. When When I look at the economy, I look at behavior. And we have a large group of people in the behavior of, I'm never going to leave internal combustion. All it takes, though, is for electric vehicles to get cheaper and more efficient. And then those people leave because we don't have any lumbering companies that only use axes in the great Northwest anymore. There's none of them because you can use one machine to go out there and clear out a huge amount of forest very easily. What, what were you going to add? I was going to relate a personal experience. Uh, I was, I've not been too favorably inclined towards electric cars until we visited uh, our son in North Carolina who has a plug-in hybrid. And we were able to drive around. He was out of the country and we were house sitting. And so we used his car and we were able to drive around most or all day touring and seeing things without burning any gasoline. And it's a fun it feel amazingly good. Among other things, you don't have to stop at a gas station and refuel, which is I always find to be tremendously inconvenient. Um, so when we got back, my wife's car, uh, she got notified by the dealer. She has an older Volvo that she was going to have to replace the engine soon. Uh, apparently, it's a defect that they know about, but. They're not going to do anything about it because you can drive the you can drive the Volvo a really long time. This particular model of Volvo before the engine needs replaced, but still it's going to need to be replaced soon because the rings are gone. She's starting to burn oil, so uh, she decided that given the 
price that she could get for the car at this point and the prices of cars and everything else, she would get a new Volvo. So she got a new Volvo and she got a plug electric Volvo. And I'm going to tell you, she enjoys it and I enjoy it more than I ever thought we would. It's, uh, you plug it in every night. She does her driving around during the day and most days she burns no gasoline, which means you don't have to go fill the thing up with gas except once in a very long time. And that's significant. Um, and the convenience is, is tremendous compared with what we had before. Uh, and it's got plenty of acceleration. It's got, it just, it just does a, an amazingly good job. And admittedly, we got a, we got a hybrid because if we ever want to go a long way, uh, we don't want to have to worry about recharging over and over again and stopping because their batteries are not where they need to be. But for this was, I think, ideal. There's other areas of technology that are occurring at the same time. There's a great article in the Wall Street Journal about this recently, um, how farmers are teaching old tractors to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, we've covered technology and farming causing productivity to skyrocket there. And at the beginning of the 20th century, 80% of our workforce was involved in agriculture the year 1900. In the year 2000, 2% was. We are now below 0.2% and dropping rapidly. Well, how is that happening? Well, even the, even the small farmer, which is pretty, as far as the overall acreage farmed, is a much smaller percentage, but the majority of farmers fall in the small farmer category. They're not the massive megalithic corporate farms. And almost universally, the small farmers have not paid $700,000 for a tractor. They're driving a tractor that's six decades old, literally 60-year-old, 50-year-old tractors. Well, a series of companies are offering retrofits on 60-year-old tractors to make them drive themselves. And the retrofit costs less than it costs to buy the 50-year-old tractor. Not the $700,000 mega machine, but just to put a side note on that, in Ukraine when Russia invaded, Ukraine is massive, massive grain fields covering most of the country. And a big chunk of those grain fields were taken by Russia early on, and they left with the tractors. And some of those tractors were massively expensive pieces of equipment. When you say they left with the tractors, the Russians you the Ukrainians. Did. No, oh, the, the Russians, Russians stole them because they came fast. The Ukrainians didn't say, I need to drive my tractor away at three miles an hour down the road. Right. So the Russians came and they took all these tractors, big ones, expensive ones, self-driving ones. And they got them home and the Ukrainians reported, hey, these are stolen. And John Deere turned them all off. <laughs> <laughs> They're massive bricks that they drove at three miles an hour back to Russia and now they don't work. <laughs> so this sort of thing you know, when we talk about security in your automobile, it's really, if you look at the the theft rates on a Tesla, it's the lowest rate of theft of any automobile in its class, in every one of its classes. Why? Because it recognizes the driver, and if it's not the driver and the driver reports it, Tesla just shuts it down because it doesn't belong to that person. And then they know where it is, and it's not working. So this is, this is some 
part of that new batteries and new security and better efficiency. All of that stuff leads to better productivity and a better quality of life. And we're seeing that explode everywhere. Sometimes literally on airplanes when you're charging your phone, you shouldn't use a battery from cheap places because they explode. But technology is literally exploding as well as figuratively. That's all I'm saying. All right, go ahead. So what you're saying is Grand Theft Auto is about to be displaced by something else. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult on a regular basis in the future to steal an automobile. So that's true. Oh, and I've got some things I'd like to add here before we go to commercials. Please do. Let me give the most important one first. The SEC on uh, and in the charged a man or a company, a company and a man. And the same time, the Department of Justice filed criminal charges against this man. Uh, his name, the name of the company was Prophecy Asset Management Advisory Firm. Prophecy, and it was an SEC-registered investment advisor. And um, they took in $500 million. Given the name of the firm, I suspect it was mostly from church members, and managed to disappear 350 million of it through losses, and 15 million of it went to uh, the gentleman who was the president um, of the company. I don't think gentleman is the right word. I'm trying to be nice here. His yeah. name is John Hughes, and he basically took 500 million dollars of investors' money. Lost three hundred and fifty thousand of it through bad investments, and pocketed fifteen. I mean, lost three hundred. Yeah, lost three hundred fifty million. Pocketed fifteen million. So there's not going to be much left to go back to the investors, and he's probably going to get to wear an orange jumpsuit into the future. But he's been doing this for years and years. And this is the interesting thing about it. It was only when he suspended withdrawals and stopped paying people income that people started complaining. Up till that point, over the years, everybody reported a profit. Why did they report a profit? Because he was the custodian, too. His, his firm was the custodian, and they were sending out statements that said there's a nice profit in your account. And people were bragging about it, and more people would bring the more money in. And particularly since he was clearly a Christian, uh, and obviously they could trust him, they kept doing that. But here's this: this story happens over and over and over again. Here's the key. I just want to, I'm going to make a recommendation to you. I don't know if this this doesn't count as investment advice, but it's advice about how to invest. Do not use the an investment advisor who is part of the same company that has custody of your money. I'll say that again. Do not use an investment advisor who is part of the same company that has custody of your money. We get, it seems like at least once a quarter, uh, what is it? What's I, I can't, uh, the, uh, the stagecoach company that is Wells Fargo. Yeah. Wells Fargo yeah. gets a multi-billion dollar fine for fraud and ripping off their their investment clients and ripping off their banking clients and people just keep giving the money. I don't understand that at all because even at the SEC and at Federal Trade Commission, and again and again, I've seen this, there seems to be an enduring culture of fraudulent behavior at Wells Fargo. And even though they replace the senior officers there, the culture of ripping off their customers continues so that about once a quarter, they get a huge fine. Not that it hurts Wells Fargo because it's a huge corporation and it, they just pay their fines and move on. Although several of their executives are now wearing orange jumpsuits, jumpsuits. There's other people who've moved up and I guess are willing to enrich themselves so they can wear orange jumpsuits too, because they just keep doing it over and over again, but people keep doing it. But here's the key. If you entrust your money to an advisor, 
an investment advisor or if they if they call themselves a financial advisor by definition you are giving the money to the company they represent that they're part of and that's probably a bad idea to begin with if you're using an investment advisor which is which is supposed to be a fiduciary position and they are hanging and they are holding your money and they are sending you statements you don't have any way of knowing whether the money's there or not if you use an independent properly registered custodian and you get your investment advice from a separate person or organization the quality advice i can't i won't promise you whether the quality of advice is good or bad, but at least you're not in the position where the person who who you see and to whom who transfers your money to wherever it goes is the person who can take your money. Uh-huh. And you should receive, therefore, let me get this last thing out. You should receive a statement monthly or at least quarterly from the organization that is a custodian that is separate with, separate from, and not affiliated with your advisor. If you make that division, you will head off probably 95 or 98% of the probability of getting your money stolen. Yeah. Uh, I was going to fill in that this is called a custodian. And it doesn't mean somebody that cleans your house. This is the person that hold the, the company that holds the assets. And if your advisor is the custodian as well as your advisor, that's where we say there's a conflict there. They're supposed to get third-party audits on a surprise basis while that's going on. But we prefer someone that's regularly third-party audited, just does an ongoing thing at a large institution where we can review those audits. So this is, we think, we think that's pretty important. Obviously, we, we set our organization up that way as well. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, We also have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. 
And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio for, management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>